We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 107, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, joined by today's guest, Rick Sharma, journalist for Goal, Reuters, Sport, and more. Rick, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on again. Well, Rick, one of the big reasons you're on the show today is because you were in attendance yesterday in London at Wembley for Barcelona's 4-2 victory over Tottenham. Before we get to the show, which instead of asking a La Gran Pagunta, we're going to just basically do a, a long-form La Ronda. We have a lot of questions, again, for a man who was at the match yesterday. But I guess the first question I'll ask you that we didn't even get was, what was the experience like enjoying that game there at Wembley? It was fantastic, as I'm sure you can imagine. Even on TV, it would, would have come across just as a, a blockbuster thriller of a game it was it's one i'll remember for a long time and it wouldn't be a surprise if at the end of the season you look back and think oh well actually that was maybe the best game that you saw yeah and i, I can believe that the way they came out of the gate and it seems like the scoreline might be pretty justified in the 4-2 final but yet you could tell from that first half that barcelona were utterly dominant and it really was a lack second half where maybe they took their foot off the gas a little bit now that said let's hop right into la ronda as James on Facebook had called him King Arthur, and it was fitting, obviously, they were in London in the UK, where obviously the stories of King Arthur and pulling the, the sword from the stone. And so he called him King Arthur, and we have questions from Roscoe and Ellie asking, does this game prove that Arthur should start more matches? And does this mean Arthur should be a more regular starter in midfield and have Coutinho play up front on the left wing more often and I guess we'll focus just on Arthur for this one uh, Rick because we do have some questions coming up about Dembele later on but for now I think let's just focus on Arthur and what he did in that match and after the match I checked it out statistically Arthur received the lowest grade of any Barcelona player besides Ter Stegen and we do use who scored a lot and then again that's not and that's not unequivocal that that's what's how the player had played and that decides who they were but just like Luis Suarez's is dummy, so much of what Arthur did doesn't show up in a box score. But yet, even with the rating he has had, Arthur seemed to really create a lot of buzz. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think if you look at Arthur's performance, it, you have to you do have to admit it, it is an erratic display. He had moments of, of brilliant play, moments of, of slightly more inexperienced play. And while if you look if you look at it like that, I can understand why he's got maybe the lowest rating on, of the outfield players. But at the same time, it's almost what he 
what he offers by being there is different to what any other option that Verbadi had at his disposable disposal could have offered. For example, if he'd put Arturo Vidal instead of Arthur, it would have been a very, very different game. And I think Barcelona, certainly in the first half, the, the performance from Barcelona is perhaps the best half of the season, uh, especially considering the opponent is of you know high quality. And I think that doesn't happen if you don't have Arthur in midfield offering a different option. And yeah, he's young and he makes mistakes and he's got a lot to learn, but encouraging him. Yeah, and what I loved most about him was his ability, again, not showing up in the box score, just to ride a tackle. He seemed to be better than that. Automatically, most people that Barcelona does have, and, and somebody that we've seen the way that Messi rides a tackle using his low center of gravity and, again, his stocky frame, and we see a lot of the same thing from Arthur. He is not a tall player. He's not going to overpower players in the 50-50s, but he is going to get underneath and almost wiggle his way onto the ball and not lose possession. And that is a quality that, again, Kool-Aids in particular are really attracted to and enjoy. And speaking of Messi, we have a question from Julian. Messi said at the Gambert that this goal of this year was a Champions League. And seeing how well they performed in the Champions League game so far, that being, again, the 4 nothing dredging of PSV, and then this 4-2 win over Tottenham. But yet underwhelming in La Liga because, Rick, as we know that they were... And by they, I mean the media hitting the panic button a little bit over the last few string of results where, again, they couldn't even couldn't really buy a win and, and even fell to Leganes just a week ago. Looking at the way that the team is really focusing on the Champions League and slowing down a little bit in the Liga, especially when the Spanish League is starting to look very close, is that alarming to you? Or, again, do you just look at this performance from Messi yesterday and chalk it up to him being really motivated in Champions League? And then Barcelona knowing that they have the horses and the depth and the tools to still compete in the Liga either way. Yeah, I think that that all makes sense. And I think with Messi, it was a combination of, yeah, he is pumped up to play in the Champions League. He said it himself, we know he's desperate to win this season. And it's it's obviously, it looks very bad for Barca that they haven't won it more with Messi. And I think it's a combination of that and the fact that he he was basically very angry after the Bilbao game. I mean, he was he was on the bench. We don't know exactly how that works. You imagine Valverde agreed with Messi that he's going to sit on the bench at the start of the Bilbao game to hopefully keep him fresh for Tottenham. Obviously, he had to come on after you know 55 minutes or whatever, and and rescue the team on on Saturday. But uh, so that that kind of anger after three results in a row in La Liga, which were which they didn't win, only two points from nine available, kind of I imagine that stoked him up further. And I think when you play at a ground like Wembley, I think it does have an impact as well. That's a, it's a great ground for Messi to, Messi to play at. And obviously, he wants to impress in every game, but he's a human being, and sometimes you're more motivated than on other occasions. Yeah, and I'm in this little bubble, obviously, of, of Barcelona talk, but the stat yesterday was 22 goals versus English teams in the Champions League. And as we know, on a global scale... That when you do show up against those champion against those English Champions League opponents, if you're Barcelona, where a lot of the English-speaking world isn't paying attention to the Liga week in and week out, unless you support one of those teams, it's not like I mean, particularly I'm here in the United States where the cable packages allow you to be a casual Premier League fan. It's on NBC and NBC Sports, so you just turn it on and you have anybody you want. And Bundesliga is it's hooked up with Fox, and yet. Well, we talked about this extensively on the podcast, but due to the television rights here in the states of, of the Liga, you don't have uh, across the pond that kind of, again, casual following of the Liga. And then again, looking at his performance yesterday, six shots, 
four on target, two off target, obviously, two times he hit the woodwork, two goals, and just a, an absolute menace in that game. And for all the praise that you can give other players on Barcelona, like so many other big matches for him, it really does come down to him, again, really nearing this point of perfection in terms of how he played. And yes, he did give the ball away four times, but he was also picking it up a lot uh, a lot deeper. And I have to ask you, being at the stadium, Rick, I found it funny that we were seeing just the, the reaction from the Tottenham, the, the Tottenham fans and almost the realization of what they were seeing in Messi and what kind of thing were you hearing there on the ground uh, just about, about the general reaction to his performance yesterday? Yeah, people people were stunned. They, they were Near me, you could hear fans turning to each other and, and just saying, you know, he's a bit good, this guy, isn't he? And of course, they haven't you know, had to, to play against Messi before. And I think a lot of people in England, like you say, that aren't really aware of sort of day-to-day, week-to-week of Barcelona and, and Real Madrid. And they see these teams just when they play against English opponents and possibly a classical or something like that. And you can hear people saying stuff about Suarez as well, which is, which you know, they don't kind of, they don't realise that Suarez is not the same player he was when, you know, from a couple of years ago. As far as that, and he actually played really well yesterday, I think, Luis Suarez for me. And so they see Suarez yesterday and think, oh, it's Suarez just, you know, doing Suarez things. Whereas I was watching the game and thinking, wow, Suarez is, is genuinely playing well for the first time, you know, in a long time. Yeah, I thought he was particularly bright over the weekend as well against Bilbao and did things, once again, that don't show up in a box score. And now speaking of not showing up in a box score, Gwatham asks, will Valverde ever put Rakitic on the bench? And that big question and I can kind of stoking some of the fire was the social media post from Arturo Vidal, where it is being reported that he's not too happy coming off the bench in that role and Arthur starting instead of him. And the worry there is, for me, not that Rakitic isn't quality. And I remember the first time you were on the show, we even talked about, again, the, 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 the bad blood that he seems to get and not of any of his own doing. I think, I think Rakitic has shown time and time again his quality and his importance to the Barcelona team as we know it now, particularly under Ernesto Valverde. And yet, people say that if he hadn't scored that beautiful goal yesterday, which, again, to hit that on the half volley on the way back up in the way he did, that is, I mean, world-class is the only word I think. I'm, or that's where I think we start with the vernacular in that it was a world-class finish by Rakitic. But other than that, I don't think he did anything that was necessarily meriting him not starting that or Vidal having needed to be started over Rakitic. But again, that said, is that after playing more matches than any other first-team high-quality player a season ago and then all throughout the summer at the World Cup, it seems like Rakitic doesn't necessarily... It's not that he needs to sit based on his performances, but it's that he should be taking a seat occasionally. And you'd not expect it to be yesterday, but you'd think that it's going to be particularly this weekend. Yeah. Oh, well, Rakitic, like, we, like you said, when we talked about him before, he does get a lot of stick, which maybe he shouldn't get. But then on Saturday, actually, against Bilbao, I thought he was he was terrible. It's one of the worst performances I've seen from Rakitic. And I wondered, can Valverde, I mean, like he's probably going to because we know he likes him a lot, but can he start him again against Tottenham after that performance? And I, I thought he had a quite a good game again yesterday, Rakitic, even if you look, uh, don't look at the goal, which is, as you say, is just sublime. I think he worked really hard. And I think he, unlike on Saturday, he was just accurate and focused. And I don't know why at the weekend he was so poor, but... 
he, he was a he was a different player last night to, to against Bilbao. And the other thing is, Valverde doesn't really have a player who who can who sacrifices himself in the same way that Rakitic does. I mean, in theory, Arturo Vidal could do that, but Vidal's a, a very odd player. I like him, but I'm not sure where he fits in this Barcelona team against. Bilbao, he, he was sort of operating in almost a wide position, which doesn't really make any sense. I guess you you, you need him not in a 10 position like a playmaker, but just able to burst into the area. I think he, he does that quite well. Uh, and he, he is he is like physical and he likes fighting for the ball, but he's not going to work in the same way that Rakitic does from minute one till the end of the game. Uh, yeah, that's true. And we also know his injury history and it's something that Rakitic doesn't have. And that next question following up on, on Vidal comes from Andel, and she asks, why was it that Vidal and the other two substitutes came on in the 80th minute on? Was it seemingly that Valverde just wasn't willing to change things up and he just wanted to see the game out with that starting 11? Did you get that sense that they really wanted to make sure this one was completely done and dusted before trying to put on new personnel yesterday, including Arturo Vidal? Yeah, I think Valverde was happy with how the team was playing, even though they kind of let Tottenham a little bit back into the game. But, I mean, I'm not sure how much Valverde trusts his squad beyond the first team, the, you know, the, the Gala eleven, with the exception yesterday of, of Arthur starting the game. And I think he liked the overall, the overall game Barcelona were having, and he was thinking... If I look at this bench, which players can I bring on without changing the dynamic of the team? Or which players can I bring on to keep things as they are? And I think Rafinha for Coutinho makes sense. Rafinha is good at keeping the ball. He's, he's not as good as Coutinho in an offensive sense. But Coutinho looks, you know, he, he, he'd done enough. He played pretty well. And I think that made sense. And then Vidal for Arthur. We've seen him bring on Vidal, like you mentioned, a, a lot in the last few minutes of the game. And obviously, based on that sort of angry emoticon emoji what do you want to call it face that Vidal put on Instagram maybe he's not so happy with that I don't know if it even necessarily works that well because Vidal's kind of a, a chaos player rather than a, someone who's going to you know lock out a game even though that seems to be the role that Valverde's earmarked for him but you know he, he wouldn't I don't think he wanted to bring anyone on before before basically he had to to, to rest players who were exhausted yeah, with Rafinha coming on as well. And you could see in Coutinho that he was laboring a bit late. We saw how bright he was in that first half. And again, for Coutinho, it was difficult to replicate what he did in the first 45 minutes. But again, you could see that he did slow down a bit. And so Daniel asked, was this performance a step in the right direction? And I think that's, an, that's a, a simple yes, just due to the, the, the form that they had had leading into this match. But I just want to look deeper in that about this performance being a step in the right direction in that, for me, Busquets has also looked pretty labored in the last two weeks or so. And you want to talk about a good performance that is certainly going to not be talked about going to the radar. He had seven tackles, the most of any Barcelona player, played on what looked to be about one leg for a good 25 minutes of that game before he seemed to you know, fully get his feet again after getting those studs. And he was also 67 of 67 on his passes. He was perfect. And while you'd think of the, the days of Xavi where the number of passes was nearing the triple digits, still to be perfect in, in that regard tells you that Busquets didn't take any chances and yet he was putting the ball at the feet of Messi, of Coutinho, and he was putting the ball on the, really on, on a silver platter for those that get things done offensively. And even looking at the number of times that Barcelona was dispossessed, 
14 times total, four times for Messi, three from Nelson Semedo, and then four times for the entire midfield to misplace a ball where they were dispossessed, and that's substitutes included with Rafinha and Vidal. Yeah, it's fantastic. Busquets was excellent yesterday. I actually find it quite hard to talk about Busquets because he, he's a he's a wonderful player. He does what he does, and 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 there's not really another player out there like him. So you just can, you can only say what you've said a million times before about Busquets. And then when he doesn't play well, you think, why is that? And maybe it's that other players aren't close enough to him on the pitch. They aren't you know giving him any protection, or maybe he's tired. I I, I mean, like yesterday he got he took a big. Uh, uh, knock in the first half and it looked for a moment like he might not be able to carry on luckily for Barcelona he did because without him obviously that performance can't happen either and yeah it was it was a fantastic performance and is he going to play like that uh, on the weekend I mean against Valencia and Mestalla is, is a tough game and Barcelona need him to play like that again whether I mean like it's not that he, not that he's not, you know not got a good level of fitness, but it does seem over the last kind of couple of years that he maybe needs a rest and doesn't get the chance to have one because there's not really another player in the squad who can do that role. I know we've seen Rakitic put there and sometimes uh, Sergio Roberto, although Sergio Roberto's injured at the moment. So hopefully for Barca he can do it against Valencia again, but it wouldn't be a surprise if if that took a lot out of him yesterday. We've got three questions remaining in the show, and so we are going to unfortunately have to be a little negative with this next one. Rick does ask, it's a great result, but to play devil's advocate, the problem concerning the defensive frailties still lingers, and that's again getting hit on the counterattack. How should the squad address this issue? And what we've talked about before on the show, Rick, is that it seems that the center backs in particular this year, and when Alba was substituted for Vermillion, we saw that Vermillion just, again, was lacking pace, wasn't bad. It's just that it seems like that back line, if Jordi Alba isn't saving tackles or isn't isn't being the first one back or the last one back to snuff out real danger, that it seems like there is some kind of um, option that opponents can look out when they scout as how to get to Ter Stegen, who also being there yesterday, you could probably say, I don't know if you got to see, again, a good look at the two saves he had yesterday, but just phenomenal off-balance saves that just got enough on it in a hand, and a strong hand, enough to punch it back out clear instead of just putting it on the foot or on, on the plate for the onrushing attackers. Yeah, I haven't really got uh, anything negative at all to say about Ter Stegen. He's, he is a phenomenal occupy. For me, he's perhaps, along with Oblak, the best goalkeeper in the world. It's, it's between those two, obviously very different goalkeepers. And it's kind of hard to judge because I imagine if you put Ter Stegen in goal for Atletico Madrid, he probably wouldn't do so well. And if you put Oblak in goal for Barca, he'd have a terrible time of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as well, they're both at teams that <laughs> they're both at teams where they where they really belong, uh, and they're both fantastic. And I, yeah, I don't think the defense helped Ter Stegen or has helped Ter Stegen much in the last few weeks, really. PK. PK yesterday, I think he after maybe a not the best start of the game, he got into it, and I think he looks fine actually after three matches in which we've seen him make really poor errors. I think like four or five mistakes, many of them which led to goals. Lenglet, I think, was a, a good performance yesterday. That didn't put a foot wrong for me. I mean, Eric Lamella's goal goes in off him, but that's you know that's just luck. I don't think that's you know not nothing to do with uh, no culpability for Lenglet on that one. Just unfortunate. Semedo is was obviously a weak point, but normally you know it'd be Sergio Roberto there. I think uh, for Harry Kane's goal, Semedo kind of gets uh, he buys Kane's sort of 
buys Kane's turn and then he's on the floor and Kane is, is gone and he curls it in. But even, even that is is a piece of brilliant play from Harry Kane and Barcelona don't have to, to face a player of Kane's quality every week. And Alba, like you say, is is kind of, he's absolutely essential to, to race back and, and make some last-ditch tackles and stuff. And I think, he, well, actually, today he was left out of the Spain squad again, which is a different thing with Luis Enrique. But I find it amazing because Alba, you know, he, he goes forward and leaves holes at the back, but he often gets back and, and makes up for that and yesterday he, he actually got a hat-trick of assists I think it was he set up the first two and I think he got the last touch before Messi scored the, the, the his his second goal so when you have a defender who offers so much in attack I and it led to, literally led to, to three of these four goals that Barcelona scored I think that you can forgive him the occasional sort of defensive lap yeah you're right on that three assists from Alba who with Dembele not in that space was marauding down that left side and really important to what they were doing and I also want to do mention that there was a balance that I saw between Gerard Piquet and Clement Langlet that you have to like in that while it was four tackles to one in favor of Langlet over Piquet Piquet's positioning which is what he's kind of been missing and he has been just again not where he needed to be to break out those counterattacks. I liked the way Piquet was anticipating already where he needed to be and that is really the quality of the experience that he has where again he's not as fast as he used to be and even when he was younger he wasn't the quickest or fleetest of foot but again his positioning was just lock solid and where it needed to be and that's why I felt it was yesterday while Langlet was the center back who was able to go in and physically combat Harry Kane a little bit more and snuff him out before they got anywhere near the penalty box. And I think that was just a really important balance that those two were able to play yesterday and, and figure that out. And it's getting a good sign with Umtiti. We're not sure how long he's going to be out. We're not sure how bad the injury is. This one may have been a suspension. That's why he, he ultimately, or at least a reason that Barcelona was able to give for him not being anywhere in sight for this match. But that said, we don't know how long he's going to be gone. And it's, again, a comforting fact that PK and Linglet were able to have that kind of chemistry early on. Well, Let's go from defense all the way up to the top of the field, and that being what I guess you have to call a trident in the 4-3-3 and not in the trident that we used to call Suarez, Messi, and Neymar. But Douglas and Sean asked, do you think Valverde might rotate between Coutinho and Debele now more on the left with this effective 4-3-3 finally coming into play and this coming throughout the week, even there's been a lot of think pieces about that Valverde should have gone back to his 4-4-2, and that's probably the best formation for them. But as Sean also adds, is the Coutinho Suarez Messi trying to perhaps the key to balancing out the midfield and making room for Arthur? And I don't stop that at Arthur. I also say Arturo Vidal. And again, for me, Sergio Roberto should play right back. But that does kind of free up a spot in the midfield if Coutinho is seen as most effective on the left, and particularly for the performance of Jordi Alba, who had that room and that space to roam. So where in all that does that leave Dembele? I think it's it's interesting that in in sort of football now in these top sides you have such big deep squads that you could easily have Dembele and Coutinho who cost maybe 300 million euros together they could both be on the bench and it wouldn't no one would bat an eyelid that that wouldn't be a surprise I think because of sort of the trend in football where we've seen the biggest teams get the you know more than enough like top quality players we're going we're gonna to start to see that more often when you have these amazing players sitting on the bench. And I think Dembele is going to spend a fair amount of this season sitting on the bench, especially after yesterday's performance. We saw last season that Dembele started off the season in the team and it was only his injury that kind of took him out of the team and made Valverde reconstruct the side into a 4-4-2. 
And I think Valverde probably watched that game yesterday and thought, even though Dembele has been, you know, he's been good and he's offered really important goals at the start of this season. At the same time, maybe yesterday was the best performance so far and Dembele was sitting on the bench for the entirety of it. And that is something Valverde will, will certainly think about. I think Dembele is a good player and he can start for Barcelona, but maybe it's going to have to be a matter of Valverde picking picking those spots. Maybe when you know you have a game which needs to be unlocked, you can you can rely on sort of Dembele to to beat beat defenders, make things happen, even though his delivery is is fairly erratic, as we saw against Athletic Bilbao. He had quite a lot of opportunities to, to cross it and. And it was just it was completely random at times his crossing. I don't I don't even know if he knows what he's doing beyond beyond smashing the ball into the box. I think it's, we shouldn't be too harsh on him because he's so young. He's got a lot of potential. He can still improve a lot. But I wouldn't surprise me if in the Clasico, which is coming up in is it four games time for Barca, I wouldn't surprise me if Dembele was on the bench again. And I think Valverde will probably turn to maybe this exact team with the exception of Umtiti and Sergio Roberto, if they're back, to come in for the Classico. Yeah, I can completely see that. And the way that Dembele and Coutinho do profile so differently. And I think Coutinho, and again, you talk about the options as well. I don't think his time as that left interior is anywhere near over. And I, I like the idea that we are kind of moving away from, or hopefully we'll move away from this idea of a Gala 11, which we talked about last week. And the dangers of having that and the dangers that we saw last year obviously in those big, big moments when it was the same 11 and legs just seemed just not to be there anymore. And speaking of making room on the wing, again, you are a journalist that covers Barcelona, not just for the Tottenham match, but throughout the year and for many matches. So Ellie asks, what on earth is going on with Malcolm? It's not even that he didn't get into the game or made the bench, but it's that he wasn't even in the match day squad. Yeah, with Malcolm, it's it, again, he's young and, he, and I think he's going to have a lot of time to improve, but when he was signed, Valverde had a, a comment which which wasn't like a transparent comment. It wasn't completely clear, but he made it sound like it was the club that wanted to bring Malcolm in, the club that thought that he was a good signing, and it wasn't a choice of Valverde. It wasn't someone that Valverde had earmarked and said, we need, we need Malcolm to come in. And if you're not going to start Dembele, you're certainly not going to start Malcolm. Valverde is probably sees them as quite similar in that they're both, you know, both very quick, both play out wide, both quite dynamic. And if Dembele's not getting in the team and he's on the bench, there's not really space for Malcolm on the bench as well. There's no point having the both of them there. I think we could, we'll probably see Malcolm more in the cup games in the Copa del Rey. And if he does well, he'll probably get some chances in the league, especially sort of after January when the games really start racking up and then you just need, you know, everyone to, to play their roles. But, I don't think Valverde is a huge fan of Malcolm. Yeah, I can see that. He is favoring Munir as the bench option and to have started in the last game as well when Suarez got his rest. And Zach asked, and a question we had earlier in the year as well, throughout the first few weeks where it seems like, as you mentioned, Suarez is starting to round into form. Even if he's not scoring goals, he was phenomenal yesterday. He was phenomenal over the weekend, and he seems to be getting better and better, and we've seen him do that before. This is nothing new to his career, particularly even the last three, four years. He does take about a month or two to figure out and get his feet underneath him. But that said, he is still aging, and it seems like Munir El-Haddadi, while he is a good bench option, he's not the long-term option as 
you know, the future of the number nine position for Barcelona. So do you think that, as Zach asked, we should bring back and really consider Paco Alcacer again next year at the end of the season? He's already scoring goals for Dortmund, looks a decent player, and yesterday even he missed the penalty but scored a goal this coming after two goals already on the early season in the Bundesliga. And it seems like Paco Alcacer, how quickly he was able to regain, regain form just as long as he was put on the field. Yeah, I think he's doing well for Dortmund, isn't he? Is it four, three games, I think he's good for them in the last three. And the thing is, with him, Barcelona, he never, apart from in that Sevilla game, actually, they were against Sevilla, uh, he never saw, he never kind of like took it in both hands and took the chance, really. He's not the same player as Suarez, but he has to look at what Suarez is doing and think, can I incorporate some of that into my game? I don't think I don't think Alcacer's nat- own natural game is good enough to to say I can do what I do and I'm just going to do that and start for Barcelona. He needs to I think he needs to make more of a sacrifice and maybe he can't do that. I don't know. I think Dortmund is a, is probably a club at his level. I think that that fits him quite well. And if he if he has a sensational season, maybe he can come back to Barcelona. And maybe in a year's time, the setup is a bit different. Maybe Arthur and Coutinho are there to supply the ammunition for him. I think he's a good finisher. But I'm not sure really what more than that that he offers that he offers uh, his team. I don't know. I don't think Munir. I mean, like you say, he's kind of it's okay. He's okay. He scored against Bilbao, useful goal. He'll probably get you six, seven or eight goals maybe a season off the bench. That'd be I think a good total for him. But it doesn't look like, to be honest, he's he's ever going to be you know, a key Barca player. He had a good season at Alaves, but you know it was Alaves. He had an, kind of an okay season at Valencia. So, yeah, Barca probably do need more firepower. I'm not convinced it's going to be Paco Alcacer who provides it. But, you know, if he has a good season in Dortmund, there's a chance. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Paco Alcacer, what got him to Barcelona originally was the form and, again, the potential he had at Valencia. And having seen his stock go down for so long, and a lot of players are like that, and not just uh, Arda Turan, who you think of, most recently, but a lot of guys, obviously, with the, sitting on the bench, that's not going to put your stock up. You're Mina, Andre Gomes, but you're going to have a hard time. So now, if if Barcelona were even to, you know, have to get him back, it would it would you know it would cost again the parties, it, the market value of a player like that goes up as long, when he's scoring. That's what you pay for in modern football. You pay for goals, and so that's what we'll see with Paco there in the future, regardless of what team decides to to splash cash and and figure out where his long-term future is going to be. Well, Rick, thanks so much for joining the show and answering all these questions in La Ronda and talking about the, the match yesterday against Tottenham. Again, that 4-2 win. And you mentioned Valencia this weekend. There's plenty of action still going on. And with following you and following your work, where can people continue to follow you across all the different platforms you are? I guess the best place is Twitter, which is at Rick Sharma underscore. Uh, Rick without a C, that is. I normally post work that I do on there at the Mirror or Goal or Reuters or DPA. So if you follow me on there, then you'll be able to read the stuff that I write. Yeah, and of course, if you just tap in your app and check out the show notes, or if you're watching on the desk or looking at the desktop, then just again, in the show notes, you click on his name. We have his link on Twitter. 
And you can also find us on social media as well. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me, and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group, who they were the, again the bulk of this show, they're the ones who got to ask the questions. They have preferential treatment. It's tbpod.link backslash group. It's a closed Facebook group. We do deeper dives and plenty of discussion as well. You can help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And finally, of course, if you like the show, please give us a review. Please subscribe. And it's a funny one. We I had a little chuckle. We got a pretty negative review this week because they said that uh, that we were a little too negative. But I think after a match like Tottenham, Rick, that we were plenty positive on today's show. So if you like the positivity we brought again, five stars really appreciate it with a little review but again rick thanks so much for joining the show and thank you to listeners for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon and forza barca I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.